0: <laughs> oh, Herbie, how are we travelling today? Good mate, yourself? Yeah, good, good We've got a cracking show again Looking forward to it We've got a serious question for you From a listener And it's all about flathead catching
1: Yeah, that'll be exciting I can't wait, I love flathead fishing I sent you a photo only a couple of days ago
0: How big was that one? On the uh, the coast of uh, New South Wales. Northern New South Wales. Yeah. That was around 93 centimetres. That was a massive fish. Cracking fish. We've got that story of the week as well. Another beauty. But we're going to kick it off in WA. And we said grab the pots, grab the pots. Because we want to have a real good deep look into... Lobster. Lobster. Yeah. The crayfish industry. Yeah. Never done it. Brett from the Lobster Shack is joining us right now. Now, Brett Cervantes, about 90 minutes above Perth in WA, but how did this all get started? Does it go back generations for you?
2: My dad uh, sort of came up with the idea a while ago that we started processing our own lobster about 12 years ago, and uh, he came up with this idea, um, you know, running off the back of the Pinnacles. We're just north of the Pinnacles, which is a very iconic spot around the world and um we get a lot of travelers and in, in, you know overseas travelers a lot of asian travelers coming towards um towards the van thanks to the pinnacles and he ran off the back of that and um the sheer volume of the buses coming through the to town and thought well you know we we got the the fishing out the front we, we're processing our lobster we're shipping them and flying them all around the world so let's a bit of tourism and he started an idea with a lobster shack and it uh, it started as a small little out the front uh, window with my dad and my mum pushing a few lobbies out for the window, um, you know, sales to, to the to the um, tourists and and yeah, it grew from there and and now it's become a very very big uh, part of our family uh, business.
0: Well, if you if you started off the back of um you know the pinnacles saying that you know you get a lot of international and you get a lot of local people that are travelling. But the the business itself is bigger than that. Like, you know, you're going out there professionally catching lobster and a lot of them. When did that roughly start? Did that only start some years ago as well?
2: Nah, nah. So that first started with my granddad, uh, Dave Thompson Sr. And uh, he started, I think, back in the 50s. He was actually a plumber by trade. And... um, he started going toward you know, go up to Green Island, which is great, which is just south of Cervantes. A couple of his buddies were doing it um, when it sort of the industry started, and um, he really started gravitating towards it and, and then started, you know, getting involved more and more and um, seeing that there could be an opportunity here for himself and, and his family at the time, um, which is uh, his four kids. And uh, he shifted up there and made it a full time full-time career and um, so yeah they were living out of tin sheds in grey for many many years and, and then he started you know stepping the boys into it being my my father and uncles etc and then we're the third generation now um my brother and uh all our cousins as well so there's a lot of us that do it now and so yes yeah, we've been in our family for 50 plus years and wow. and, and we just keep
1: growing and growing he, on top of it yeah he's like the pioneer of lobster catching so back in the day how did he do it was it the old cane pots like how he you catching these lobsters can i go out and put a pot out am i allowed to or or what's the story there
2: <laughs> yeah so they started with old cane pots and and flatties and they had all sorts of contraptions they were running back and then wow. i was not even born so i wasn't around it but yeah, a lot, a lot of them now are just the general um, flat pots. Uh, they are. There is a couple of guys running a, a bigger meter by meter pot, uh, but yeah, the 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 canes, which is also known as a sticky pot, that's kind of you know phased out. Um, they're mostly just running steel bottoms and 2 maybe one uprights as um, timber slats and uh, and nets, of course, and and two bait baskets for the for the general sort of. Uh, uh, you know description of a pot, but yeah. to answer your question, yeah, you know anyone can do it, but you've got to be either you know professional fisherman. You've got to buy into the industry, okay, uh, which is getting very very expensive. It's been you know since since uh, quota started, you know ten or eleven years ago. Now it's, it's getting extremely expensive um, to get involved or buy in. But yeah, you, there's, there's a lot of amateur fishermen out there, which is cool, and um, you know social media is definitely blowing up. The oh, everyone! Uh, oh man, it's like you know everyone wants to be a fisherman, especially around Christmas time, because that we call that the inside white. So it's easy to catch. They're <laughs> running off all the set. the yeah. dead weed edges, everyone thinks they're a professional fisherman yeah. around Christmas
1: time. You know so that
2: we have hundreds and hundreds of boats out there.
1: Yeah, and that fascinates me, Brett. I mean, I'm a third generation Southeast Queenslander, and and my pop and my dad used to get cane. Uh, sorry. Um, bamboo, right? And make fishing <laughs> oh, rods yeah. Yeah. out of bamboo with old alvey reels, and oh, go fish to the Narang River. No. Back in my day, no, we hang are, on, we... I wasn't alive then. But I'm fascinated about it. So you know of what you're saying about your pop. Fifty years ago, you started doing this. What actually do you like? You're obviously catching the lobsters and you're selling them. How are you cooking them? What are you selling?
2: Well, really, well, in the lobster shack, we cook them. Of course, that's where. We wanted a value add and have another side business uh, that would take a certain line of product um, off our boats that we couldn't move into the live market. So that's where Dad's seen the opportunity there to start the lobster shack, which was a great idea. Now we can't keep up with the throughput. It's going crazy. But wow. um, yeah, so really, um, you know, the live market is really where we want to dedicate our focus. That's where all the money is.
0: Before we um ask you how you prefer to eat it and cook it, um, there's a couple of questions I want to ask. Is one, do you still export it overseas now?
2: Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. So since China put the stop on us, we we had to really start dedicating our marketing and sales guys and focus in other key countries. So we um we you know we're pushing a fair bit through Malaysia, Taiwan's taken it Hong Kong, Dubai a little bit, even back into the this is the worst market to be and unfortunately the tail market um, into into America that sort of opened up a little bit but a lot of domestic stuff too um, throughout the east coast of Australia and local markets here but um, not really anything live a lot of that Product, Is it Because uh, I
0: process. found it really fascinating. When I went there just before COVID and when you guys were, you know, up and running, it was an amazing process to watch how yeah. you send live lobsters overseas. I yeah. was just thinking that. Expe- explain yeah. to Herb how you guys did yeah. it because I found it really fascinating.
2: Yeah, so it's a pretty cool process. So we bring them in from the boat and um, you got you got to purge the lobster for a couple of days by law. So we put them in a holding tank. We have open circuit, tank, and closed circuit um, in Savannah's there. Um, so you, you hold and for a couple of days and then you get orders of different grades. So it could be anywhere from a double A size lobster all the way to a H. Uh, so then you, you pack out per order. So some could be going to Taiwan, Japan, all over the show. So you're packing one pack could be multiple countries in multiple grade sizes. So it's pretty full on, pretty exciting, but... You get them out of the lanes. You put you, you're, They're already graded out before they go into the lanes off the boat, um, and then you put them through a, a stun tank. Um, so it's like you know cold water. Um, it kind of puts them to sleep a bit, makes them a bit doughy, uh, easier to handle. They don't reject because rejects are worth nothing to the live market. It's um, you know really detrimental to the price, which is, is bad on our end and the buyers then. So put them through the cold water, pull them out, they're really, you know, they're half asleep, put a dough in, then you chuck them in this sawdust, wood chip sort of material into a foam esky, and uh, depending on the counter, if they're a double A or up to a H, you have different counts in that certain carton. So you have a 9 kilo or a 14 kilo uh, foam esky, and you pack it out, and uh, you put them on pallets, and you run them down to birth on the truck, and then they get uh, flown across the world. And, yeah, they can last up to... Oh, you know, thirty plus hours. We we've even done a run over to Moscow years ago, and uh, they were out of the water for up to forty something hours, and they are still alive. So no, they can last a long time.
1: No way. And what do they put them back in water over there and keep them alive?
2: Yeah. So they have processing facilities over there, holding facilities. So the buyers, you know, they're they're big big units over there in, in and in around the world, especially that you know dedicate their sales in the live market. So they hold them and then. They go uh, from their holding facilities to the uh, to the shops and restaurants, and then wow. they know a lot of Chinese. A lot of Chinese love uh, live products. So you, I don't know if you've been in China. I've been there a few times. Everything's alive. And they put them in their tanks inside the restaurants, and then the customers, consumers, you know, they will pick him out and eat them. See this? Yeah, <laughs> so this, yeah.
0: This, yeah. and this the, the herb. I'm so fascinated you're like, by I, this. I know that, but the, you're like a crayfish. Why? Because you'll come to my house on a Saturday, you'll have way too many, and you'll wake up somewhere else where you can leave (laughs) no different to a lobster. I purge on the Great (laughs) Northern and then
1: I wake up and go, oh, it's (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Uh,
0: alive." Hang on. Can we ask, Brett, why Cervantes? Why is that area of Australia so rich in lobsters or crayfish?
2: Oh, I thought just Sedanies. It's up the whole way up the coast. We're in, we're in a zone called the Sea zone It goes from the 30th parallel line, which is in between Lehman and Greenhead, all the way down to Augusta, where the uh, lighthouse is. So we're in that zone. So it's roughly in the middle. You would say probably more towards the north end. But I guess that's where it all started for our family, around the Green Island, Gray area, Sedanies. So and that's where we stayed. I guess the old boys have started it. And that's where a lot of the family is still there and that's where it started with the processing and the lobster shack fiber
1: thing. Yeah, that, and that's fascinating. And one thing I want to ask you, Brett, is I've yep. got a barbecue on Saturday night and I want you to come over. If you can keep them live over to Dubai, you can drive one over to the southeast side of, of Queensland and bring a couple <laughs> of live lobsters. I'll put on the cold Great Northern and we'll have a bloody good afternoon. You know what I'm saying?
2: That sounds great. To me, we're actually be coming there soon. So I saw on. I saw a lot of times with just a single box underneath the plane to go do things. So yeah, we can we can help that up oh, a bit.
0: Oh, what about um? You do actually take a couple of charters or two, not charters. You take tours out as well.
2: That'd be cool. We do do sea line charters, at the tour. So if anyone's listening to this podcast, of course, and uh, you're in Savannies, book a sea line charter. That's oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, on our jet boat which is pretty cool it's only about a 10 minute steam out there and you get to swim with them and everything that's pretty cool and then you can come back and drink a few cold uh, great normas <laughs> as you were saying
1: <laughs> yeah I'm there for sure Now, I, I hear you say Western Australia has copped a lot of flack in bag limits and and, and whatnot, fishing what, – what, what do we call it? Fishing um, – Restrictions. Restrictions. Thanks. Do yep. you think yep. – and this is a serious question because I've, I've got a few of my own ideas here, but do you think – they are viable. Do you think it is doing the right thing by the fish stock, or do you think it's helping the fish stock? Do you think it's helping the 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 fishermen, the pro fishermen, and the pro lobstermen, and whatever is it, or is it helping the uh, the, the recreational man?
2: Oh. <laughs> pretty um, yeah, pretty volatile, pretty pretty um, volatile sort of area to talk about um that's cool anywho, depending who you're talking to and who you who you're with at the time but you know we had um you know really low perilous stocks uh before quota started we had you know it was seven months as hard as you could go we had hundreds of boats in the water more pots and and it was it was full on you know for lobster i mean yeah for the professional side of things and um they started getting flat lines of perilous um, settlements and all the catches along the coast. So. The alarm bells went off with everyone and then we um, we flew in a lot of people from over east in New Zealand and they were already, especially New Zealand, they were in, already into the um, quota side of things and they taught us a lot. And to be honest, uh, you know, we, we've seen the benefits in it, our family. <laughs> um, not everyone did. Unfortunately, a lot of people did, you know, lose their opportunity or they got sort of Muscled out of the industry because, you know, unfortunately, it's horrible to say the bigger got big and the smaller got out. That's how it did happen, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. So, do I agree on that? No, it was horrible. Um, yeah. it, um, but it needed to be done because it was. We were driving it pretty hard and pretty much in the ground. So, that now has definitely helped whoever has stayed in the industry has helped because per pot pool, they call it, is gone through the roof. You work less, you catch more, and your overheads are less. So it makes sense in that way.
1: Yep. Um, um,
2: And for the the fin fish, yeah, for the fin fish stuff, I don't really want to comment because I'm not not really fully involved, but they've had a new restrictions released this year, um, only just now. And yeah, all the scientists reckon. They've seen the stock report way down, so they had to do something. Mm. Um, so I guess they have to make some sort of a a rule around backing off. You know the the, the take and um, but yeah, it's sort of a more on-off sort of period this year. By the sounds of it, at times you can go and then they'll take it, you take it down and ban it again. Um, but then I've heard mm. rumors around the warm waters also making them shift further yeah. south and. Yeah, it's right, it's mate.
1: such a grey area, isn't it? And I'm very, yeah. very passionate. I'm like you. I'm f- f- off at this shit. I just think, <laughs> I just think these people. I, I just, I think um. the bloke sitting behind the desk making up these f-ing rules needs two pots bang between f-ing each ear and say, listen here, mate. Go and talk to the pro fishermen, the pro lobstermen, and and tell them what's going on. You know, ask them what's going yeah. on so that they can make yeah. the rules right for everybody else.
2: Yeah, because I guarantee what you just said, ten pushes have never probably pulled a pot or caught a fish in their life. Exactly you know I mean?
0: right. Uh, I really want to ask you, do you have lobster for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? <laughs> I would. <laughs>
2: Honestly, we don't eat it that much. We don't get wrong. We love it, but we normally have it when we have um, you know, close family and friends that come over. Um, but I, I would. Uh, you can't go past the lamb chopper, Regan.
1: The <laughs> <laughs> lamb chopping
2: in a great northern. Do you have yeah.
1: – when you sell lobster at the Lobster Shack, do you sell beer there?
2: Quite for sure, we have our own
0: lobster. Uh, lobster. You have to come out. Uh, hey, I'm fueling up. I'm off to Zavanni's. <laughs> how, how would you serve up the ultimate lobster? Would it be? Yeah, what I do want to you, hear. Yeah, do, you, do you do you prefer to steam it, boil it, um, barbecue it? What's your ultimate? Yep. Uh, I love pickled cray. Pickle lobsters,
2: nice. Pickle, basic and neat. Yeah, no, I
0: don't mind that. Talk us through how you uh, pickle yeah. a pickle a cray lobster.
2: Oh, Well, I don't cook it. My wife does, so I don't know the the recipe, but she's pretty good at that. I don't mind that. Um, The standard on the barbie splitter and garlic and butter is pretty nice. Uh, But one of my good buddies, one of my good buddies, Rossi Jones, he cooks this popcorn chicken with sesame seed and honey sauce, which is very, very nice. That would probably be my favourite. That's chicken. Popcorn lobster. Popcorn. Popcorn
0: lobster, sesame seed and honey
2: sauce. I don't think honey's back. Stop have, you it. You might have to. You might have to uh, him to get that one. Oh,
1: if yeah. you get a lot of squid over there, I should come over and do the squid cordon bleu. Oh. I mean. <laughs> there you start to break. <laughs>
0: hey, Brent. We really yeah. do appreciate your time. Brett from lobstershack.com.au. Make sure if you're over in WA near Cervantes, it's amazing business. It's a great industry. Yeah. It's a great insight into you know things that a lot of us take for granted, and yeah. uh, we really do appreciate your time. Thank you.
2: Bye
0: to Herb. Thank you very much, guys. Have a good day. Good on you, Brett. Over. Well, you can ask Herb anything you want, and we've got another caller right here, Herb. Now, Jeff... You live on South Australia. What a great part of the world that is.
2: Oh, it's a lovely spot of the world uh, out here at Spider. It's, um, it's something a bit frustrating, but you go out there and you try and get some flathead. And I've tried hard bodies. I've tried lures. I've tried soft plastics. I'm not sure if it's an incoming tide, an outcoming tide. Mm. But I seem to struggle a bit, and... Um, the master fisherman Herb, I'd like to see what his
0: response is on this one. All right, well he backs himself. Thanks, Jeff. He backs himself as a uh, huh, a gun <laughs> flathead <laughs> fisherman. Oh, well, here now, we go. Now. I have a go. I have a go. <laughs> well, right.
1: G'day, g'day, Jeffrey. Well, listen, I've done a lot of flathead fishing in my time. There's three ways I know of to catch them, and that's bait, placos, or hard bodies. I'm a hard body man. I love towing hard bodies. Okay, now, little, what do you catch more on? I Well, I use hard bodies all the time. If you go to, say, the Flathead Classic, right, which is probably one of the biggest Flathead competitions, well, I think it is the biggest Flathead competition, catch and release in Australia. Okay. And that's on the Gold Coast, southeast Queensland. It's on the Gold Coast and south Queensland. Where Jeff's from? Okay. It's all, oh, around, of it's all around South, south Stradbroke Island, right? If you look at the stats, it's 50-50. And these aren't a bait fishing comps. They're either placos, or, so soft. Or hard body lures. Okay. Now, it is 50 50. Bait, on the other hand, whole pilchard, frog mouth pilchard, um, you know, a yabby, whatever tickles your fancy. I like uh, little froggies. They, they seem to work a treat. They're not real frogs, are they? They're not real frog spider okay, but they Okay, just checking. Yeah, no, that's I all just right. Had to ask. They are uh, <laughs> a soft, well, they're a little pilchard, a white bait, you know, and yeah. they work a treat in shallow water. So I love hard bodies. Because I can put four rods out, stick them in the holder, drive around as slow as I can with a beer in one hand. Okay. Now that's that's Just, my preference. Yeah, all right. Yeah. yeah. Now, responsibly, that's what, of Responsibly, course. or have a driver, obviously.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Another, another quick question, Herb, if you're there.
2: Yeah. So, you, so you're out there with these hard bodies, and you're catching like a handful, maybe two or three under 40. Do you stay in the same place, or do you look for something a little bit deeper? Perhaps. What a
1: great question, Jeff. Oh, Jeff knows he's flathead. He's done a bit. Well, he lives in probably the flathead capital of Australia. Now, yeah, that's a great question. Little flathead are males. Okay. Once they get to around 60, 65, they become female. And the little flathead
0: always hang around a big female. Do you do you still call them flathead or is it a they then or is it is there a transition? No, we're not period.
1: using pronouns here. Okay. Right, we're not checking. using we're not um, what, what do they call it nowadays? I'm not real sure. They're, they're, flattered. <laughs> they're, flattered. <laughs> they're flattered. They're flattered. They're They're either boy or girls, so it doesn't okay. matter. And when they're littler, they're boys. So usually a lot of times you'll have five or six little flatted, anywhere up to 50, 55, hanging around a female or two female, mainly only one, and that fish can get anywhere up to a metre. Okay. I've caught one over a metre. Oh, so you're bragging now. No, no, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that was on a live bait butt, so it wasn't on a hard body. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there are, are different ways. Live bait's probably the best way. Live herring. Uh live yakker. whatever is in your area, catch that bait and you will catch a, a, a good-sized flathead. Can
0: I ask, Jeff, you, you're in the, uh, the best part of, uh, I suppose, Queensland for flathead. What's your biggest flathead you've caught?
2: Ooh. I've pulled up an 86 there, of but, geez, that's the only one I got for the day, and it's, you know, not good picking.
1: That's a good fish. Well, that's a let-go in Queensland, isn't it, Jeff? You cannot keep that's- a flathead over 75 centimetres. Am I correct? Damn shame. That's right. Well, they are females. They are breeding for our population and our future flattered fishermen or girls. Thank
0: you, Jeff. Thank you, mate. Great time. Good answers, that one, Herb. No worries, mate.
2: I'll I'll give that a practice now, and especially that beer in the hand while you're having a drink. (laughs) (laughs) Happy flattered fishing, Jeffrey. Over.
1: (laughs) righty well, this week, Spider, you've got kids. You've taken kids fishing, I mean, and you're not the best fisherman, but you have a go. I'll give you that. Have you got it? I know you've got a story. I want to hear this story of your trip.
0: Yeah, well, we went, uh, we've travelled a fair bit of Australia. I've been uh, very fortunate and lucky to travel all different parts of Australia, and I thought, you know what? We want to catch a little bit of Murray Cobb one day, and there was myself and the girls. There was Caitlin, Summer Nay, and Boston, but, like, Gee, my daughters—they would have been summer, and they would have been six or seven, you know, not that old. And they said, "Dad, all we want to do—we're camping along the river. We had some fishing rods. Let's go, yep. let's go fishing." So in a houseboat? No, you're camping. No, nah, we're camping.
1: Yeah, fair enough. We're
0: camping. So just straight off the bank. Let's sit there and let's do the right thing. So got all the fishing gear and I've got yeah you know, all the gear and no idea so <laughs> Ch- chasing
1: a Murray cod absolutely.
0: The marine, on the Murray oh, the greatest or, or a great eating redfin absolutely so yep. we go down there and I said all right this is what we do this is how you cast it in there and we've got a little bit of bait and you know the kids don't like touching the baits yeah, in here to do yeah, all the bait and, yeah. and I'm not a massive like you know I've had plenty of times where I've put hooks on lines yes and caught fish yep. and got up and there's just no hook there and the lines just thr- thriveled at the you did the phantom knot. Yeah, so <laughs> plenty of those. But anyway, so we started fishing and I cast it, I cast it in there, and I was sitting there, and we would have been sitting there for 15, 20 minutes, and the kids are all getting agitated and they're kicking the dirt and they're As by, they do. playing, making little bloody dirt mounds and running around and screaming and yelling. <laughs> I'm going, what on earth am I doing? Anyway, now he's going, Dad, 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 come on, let's get the fish, let's get the fish, you know, wheel it in. Yep. So 15 minutes later, absolutely thinking, you know what, sometimes there can be fish on there. It wasn't moving much, but you anyway. Know. Yeah, thought, okay, so I started wheeling it in. Yeah. And I kept wheeling, and I'm going, hang on, there's something on this. I can't bloody get it down. Yeah. And then I realise that the hook stuck in the tree above us. No way. It's never been in the water since You were
1: phantom fishing. You cast it into a tree, did you? Yeah, and left it. I had no
0: idea. I had no idea. I just thought, oh, "Oh, well, we'll cast (laughs) (laughs) it. And still, Uh, the the kids sit there today and go, we are never, ever going fishing again. Not with Dad, no way.
1: I mean, you might have caught a budgerigar or a... You know, a cockatoo or something like that. Yeah. But yeah.
0: Well, each to their own, you know. Absolutely. So that's uh, that's the extent of my kind of fishing. I have absolutely no idea. But as I said, I've got all the gear with no idea. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it's funny, but it took you 15 minutes,
1: Spider, to work it out. It took oh. you to wind it in to work out the line was up in a tree. Yeah.
0: 15 minutes. Yeah, I don't watch all this. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm like. You've got to set the rods up when we go fishing ourselves. Oh, so dear. Oh, well, there you go. I know people love taking their kids out fishing, and it always goes a little bit pear-shaped. But join us next week. Next yep. week's a cracking episode again. We're actually going international fishing. Yeah. We're fishing Amsterdam. I oh, know. What a place to. <laughs> Am- <laughs>
1: There's one place I want to go, and I've never been overseas, but I'd love to go to Amsterdam.
0: Is it for the fishing?
1: A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) I'd go to a cafe first to get me a cup of coffee and a little bit of banana cake, and then I'd go fishing.
0: (laughs) I don't know where I'd end up, but we're going to Amsterdam. Amsterdam, also Coffin Bay in South Australia. You're going to tell us a magnificent oyster recipe next weekend. Yeah, we'll have story of the week as well, and that's about uh, just doing proper maintenance on your boat or as things go, a little bit (laughs) pear-shaped. That's it. Thanks for joining us this week on The Anglers. Make sure you get on
1: on the uh, all the platforms to listen to us and The Anglers on Facebook to write in anything you get. Any questions you've got to ask me, I'd say ask Spider, but maybe if you just want to talk about football with him. But this is a fishing <laughs> show. So if you've got a question for me, get on The Anglers Facebook page, ask me anything you need. I'll answer it as best of my ability, and hopefully
2: we can resolve some little problems. Over.